as we get started. If you did not get a handout called number seven, a handout with number seven on, if you raise your hands, we have a supply in here that we'll make sure you get one. Anyone needing, here's a couple right here in the back. Yeah, here, right back that way as well. So as we're handing out these, uh, this is our, uh, Brother Mike needs one over here on the side too. Um, this, this will conclude our series in practical evangelism training today. Um, before I get into that, I, I would just like to say again, thank you. And you'll keep hearing us say thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support, your expressions of love and for your messages and and uh, I, I honestly do not know how anyone can survive this world today without the grace of God and faithful God's people. I'm so thankful for you. As we begin, um, because it is so important, I want to give you an opportunity. If someone just has a testimony to share, maybe a story about whether it was successful or not, that you got to share your story this week, or you got to pray for a server, or you got to at least attempt to hand out a witnessing track. Is there anyone that has a, a story they like to share with us this morning? Just real briefly. All right, let me come on down here with you. Oh, you probably do. People on the on the internet can't hear you. Um, I was at uh, Walmart this week and I was on an aisle there was this lady on the aisle and we were both uh, looking at the garbage bags trying to decide which whatever and um, I said it's just so ridiculous to pay this amount blah blah you know for for this and you just throw it away anyway but anyway we started talking and I was telling her my story and I said, uh, uh, I had on my shirt for the shoe boxes and, uh, she said her church used to do that. And I said, well, um, she said, I would love to do that. I said, well, you're welcome to come when we do hours and, and help with us. She said, oh, I would love to. <laughs> so she took my name and number and the church. And so she's, uh, next year, I guess if she, still remembers her like me, she probably forgets, but anyway, <laughs> uh, she said that she would love to come and, and help, and I said, well, that would be so great. Wonderful. So, um, uh, but I had just shared with her how um, the Lord has blessed me through the years, even before I was saved, mm. and I was a mess before I was saved, but he has just blessed me, and, and I don't know like you have people live without him i just don't know how they get by all right well thank you thank you for sharing hey we should take every opportunity to share about the goodness of god if we've experienced it we need to talk about it uh jenny sims and jill and myself got to share the gospel 96 times uh, on Tuesday night out here across uh, the way in the field while we were giving out candy and stuff. We got to do that. I got to hand out 10 tracks, not just giving them out, but tell them what it was and ask them if they wanted it and if they would read it, if they would take it. And they took it. Got to pray for a server yesterday when we went out for breakfast and uh, just got to praise the Lord um, for them. Nothing was going on in their life that, that uh, they needed prayer for. But every opportunity we have, 
We need to seize the opportunity. I can't think of a better day and a better time than right now to do that. Now, let me just say for a moment, everything that we've been taught in the last six weeks about evangelism, everything we've talked about, writing our stories out and shortening our stories in case you didn't have enough time and and how to incorporate God into our conversations and, and how to witness and how to use prayer as a way to share the goodness of God with other people. All of those things that we have learned so far can absolutely be done in the work of the flesh. I can repeat words. I can write down something and I can tell that same something again and again and again and nothing change. So what makes the difference? What what makes the difference between man-sized results and God-sized results? What happens? What must happen for that to occur in our lives? Because frankly, I'm exhausted seeking man-sized results. I want to see what God can do. I want to see what he can do in his people, in my life, in this community, and in this world. That's what I want to see. But how do we get there? And if you want to open up your, your booklets to page number two, we're talking about appropriating divine power. How do we access the power of God to do the very thing that God commanded us to do? How do we access the power of God to see the move of God, to see the results of God in our lives? Now, Renee, you've got the the slides today. There's a lot of slides. (laughs) So keep up if you can. Uh, But we're going to read out loud together. Acts 1.8. We've been using this the whole time, and we're going to look at it even more today. But I want you to read this with me out loud. You will receive power. It's pretty clear. Jesus said, you will receive power. I circled that word power in my booklet. Now that power is God in you. Now, some people will misappropriate that power. They say, well, God gave me power. I'm going to do what I please. God gave me power. I'm going to do what I will. That's not what God's power is for. God's power is for his will to be done, not your will to be done. So God gives us power. The power comes up on us. That's his power in us to do his will. And then specifically, I circled the word be. He gives us his power to be witnesses. Typically, when we talk about witnessing, it's used in a verb. Well, did you go out witnessing this week? Yeah, I went out witnessing. I shared my story eight times. You know, what did you do? And that's what we look at. But not here in Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8, it's a noun. See, witnessing is not something that we do. It's who we are. The Holy Spirit invades our life, and by the power of God, we become witnesses in our daily lives. That next statement there in your book, the power of the Holy Spirit results in a life that is a witness. Fill in the blank there. Results in a life that is a witness. See, the Holy Spirit enables us. 
So we have the Holy Spirit who enables us by the power of God to do what God said to do. Now, as I mentioned before, we can do things that God said in the absence of his power, and we will see only the results that we can accomplish, which are minimal. The Lord's intent for witnessing is not that it's a seven-week series. His intent is not that it's an annual emphasis. His intent is not uh, that it's a weekly program. His intent is there is a, uh, an overflow of the Holy Spirit at work in us. That's his intent. That the Holy Spirit is so real, that the power of God is so real in us, that we become witnesses and that we live that way. That's the intent of Acts 1.8. I've mentioned before that there's a difference between inviting people to come to church and going out and telling our story. Inviting people to come to church is good. And don't stop. And we want people to experience what we experience. We want them to be equipped the way we're equipped. We want them to see the God that we are worshiping together. But don't let that take the place of sharing Jesus in the world. We still need to be about that. But if you have invited enough people to join you in church, inevitably you'll hear something like this. No, I don't want to go to church. Because church are full of what? Hypocrites. You know what a hypocrite is, right? I mean, we use that word negatively, but it's not really a negative. If you're in drama to any degree, it's pretending to be something that you're not. You, you might wear a mask. Pretending to be something that you're not. That's what a hypocrite is. Now, when we look at a hypocrite within the church, any one of us can be a hypocrite right now. Let me give you an example. You can be a hypocrite if you say you are a follower of Jesus and you do not follow Jesus. That's being a hypocrite. You can be a hypocrite by living how you please Monday through Saturday, but putting your best face on right now. That's being a hypocrite. And that's what the world sees, and it frustrates the world because they say, you say you believe, you say that he is a, a, a God who changes lives, but I don't see that in you. I need to see the, the real Jesus. I need to see the, the Jesus that you're talking about that can change a life. That's what I desire. So as we talk about being a hypocrite, why, why is it that we are hypocrites? For those of us who have trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Jesus saved our soul. He regenerated or gave life to our spirit. But he did not save the flesh. So we're at battle with our flesh all the time. Now that's not an excuse to do what you will. But it does answer a question when we see TV, or we've experienced it in our churches, and we, we would pause and say, how could they do that? I thought they were a Christian. 
We've, we've probably uttered those words or thought those thoughts. How could they do that? Well, the answer is flesh. Flesh. I'm, I'm, I'm covered with flesh and that flesh is weak. And I absolutely can be a hypocrite. See, I can do anything that the flesh of a lost person can do. I'm capable of that and so are you. So what do we do? Well, we can be thankful because God gave us some good news about the lost flesh that we deal with. And that's in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Read this with me out loud. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, This is the fruit of the Spirit in us. Well, we've already looked. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So it's the same Holy Spirit. And here's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. Let me go through this real quickly. Love, if you want to make a note beside of it. In essence, love is caring for others more than you care for yourself. Caring for others more than you care for yourself. Let me give some very practical examples here. If you are a teenager, or maybe you're an adult that's back into the dating scene, if you have heard this phrase, if you love me, you will fill in the blank. Usually it's if you love me, you will do something for me. And let me just give you a word of caution right now. Turn and run because that is the opposite of love that's not love do not listen to it that is a manipulation of the word love for a selfish result love is not selfish if you hear that in a dating relationship get out of that relationship until that heart is right seasoned (laughs) seasoned adults such as myself we get used to our ways. What does love look like? My goodness, we, we're already, we voted as a church to, to renovate in here and replace the, the lights and the video and sound. And, and that's all going to be coming, by the way, as a, an update. It probably won't start until January because they're doing a, a, another church right now. But you'll notice that stuff is being packed out here in the hallway that will be used. But there's a part of us who are seasoned who might look at that and say, you know, I really don't like it. I don't think we need to do anything like that. I'm happy the way it is. That's not love. Love is looking at the kingdom. Love is looking at the church, not myself, not my preferences, not my opinions, but what is best for the kingdom of God? How will we best reach the lost? That's love, not selfish. The next one is joy. Now, joy should not be confused with happiness. It's not happiness. Happiness is based on happenings. That means a lost person can be joy or can be happy. A lost person can be happy all the way to the gates of hell when they enter into eternity. So it's not being happy, but it is a joy that transcends all circumstances. It's something that we have internally by the presence of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. Peace. 
during the highs and the lows, during calm and chaos, during healing and pain. The presence of God persistently in our lives brings his peace. I was sharing with Ryan this morning before we prayed, patience, this next one, golly, it got to me. I don't know why. You know me. I'm a patient guy. I'm a calm fella. But when I read the, uh, understood what the, the Bible describes as patience, evidently that's one that I had to confess this morning. Listen to the definition. Being calm in provocation or misfortune. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a second. I can do that. I can be calm in difficult situations. I can ride it out. But then it goes to my heart. Listen, to be calm in provocation or misfortune without complaint or irritation. I throw up the flag now because I can look calm to you, but inside, if you could hear the words, I'm complaining, I'm irritated. Let me give an example. How many of you shop at Walmart? How many of you shop at Walmart and you have six items? So you go to the express lane that says 20 items or less. And the person in front of you have a whole buggy full of stuff. And you know it's more than 20 because you've counted it. Do you sit there in calm? Or do you sit there and say, should I? Should I point out that the sign says 20? Am I frustrated in my heart and spirit? Absolutely. I'm not being patient. What about the fast lane? Do you get frustrated in the fast lane? We already know from what week two that the people who belong in cell number three in hell are in the fast lane too. And they're driving too slow. Are you frustrated? Are you being calm? Yeah, I can be calm. But inside, oh, I'm irritated. The Holy Spirit brings patience throughout it's to be calm in those situations without irritation without complaint kindness is next that's just being benevolent toward other people goodness i used to think that's good works but no it's generously giving to other people faithfulness a consistency trusting the lord Gentleness, a humble attitude and behavior toward others, not being harsh to other people. Self-control. Self-control over desires and actions. This one we can talk about for a little bit. Self-control. Do you have outbursts of anger? See, if you have an outburst of anger, that's losing control. Do you have a sinful pattern in your life that you keep falling back to again and again and again? I see that's a lack of self-control. Because we are in a time such as this, maybe I can give another example. Let's say this. Let's say it's, I don't know, three weeks from now. Gathering a family. There's this table before me 
And I'm sitting at the table and I'm looking at all the delicious food that's before me, for which I have given thanks because there is no liver there. (laughs) And I say, you know, give me a little bit of that, a scoop of that, a slice of that. And literally, before I know it, my plate is like this. It's mounded because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. If they made it, I don't want to eat it. That's, that's kind of my, my thing, which, which makes dangerous the, the food that we serve here. <laughs> so I, I have this mound of food, and I somehow ma- managed to shove it down my pie hole. And then I get to that part that the desserts come out. Oh my goodness, what do you do now? I'll have a small slice of that. A small slice of that. One scoop of this one, watching my weight. And I somehow managed to get that all down. I slide back from the table. Man, you know what this is. You unbuckle that top button. And you say something like this. I am what? I'm stuffed. I'm I'm just like the turkey we ate. I am stuffed. Let me give you something to say here. Don't ever say, I am stuffed. In three weeks from now, don't say, I am stuffed. Here's what you need to say. I am so ungodly, the Holy Spirit has no control in my life. (laughs) Because that's the truth. You've lacked self-control. That's called gluttony. Gluttony is a sin. But it's okay for one day. No, I couldn't find that anywhere this week. It's not okay. This is not a menu that we get to choose from. Say, well, you know, I think this week I'll be patient. No, this is the character of God. It's a description of the character of God. Listen, that's manifested in you and me as he is in control. So if you're lacking the character of God in your life, it's because the Holy Spirit is not in control of your life. Our lives should be changed Because God Almighty has been inserted into our lives by way of the Holy Spirit. And he's not there just to hang out until Jesus comes back. He's there to transform us into the image of Christ. Oswald Chambers said, The Holy Spirit is the one who makes real in you what Christ has done for you he's at work in you and me look at page three let's look at acts 1 8 once again read with me out loud you will receive power when the holy spirit circle that word up on Now tell me, what did they, the disciples, receive God's power for? To be witnesses. Very clear. 
The disciples, going down further in your booklet, the disciples had the Holy Spirit in them already. John 20, 22. I think that's the, the next slide. Read this verse with me. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. So the disciples have already received the Holy Spirit from the Lord. And then we look down at this next line. But they needed an empowering by the Holy Spirit. And they received that on the day of Pentecost. That's when we read in, in, in Acts that something changed. They had the Holy Spirit. Now it's empowered and the Holy Spirit works through them. Acts 2, this next passage. Read this with me. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and there were added that day Circle that word filled. Draw a line up to the top of your page to the word upon. So the, the disciples received the Holy Spirit, and now we're told they were filled with the Holy Spirit, but there's a problem. The disciples leaked. Why, why would I say that? Because in this next passage, Acts 4.31, they were filled again. Let's read that out loud. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak. So they were filled again. What happened when they were filled with the Holy Spirit? We look at their lives. What happened when they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Souls were saved, about 3,000 in one day. And they spoke the word of God with power. That only happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's us attempting to do what God said to do, trying to mimic his power. Turn the page. So how does the Spirit come on you? You can circle that word on in that first line. How does the Holy Spirit come on you? When we are saved, should we all go outside and look up into the heavens and look for a dove that is descending to land upon our heads? Is that what it means for the Holy Spirit to come on us? No. In fact, when I looked this word up, it means to have authority and control. Authority and control. That's what it means for the Holy Spirit to come up on us. But like the early disciples, if you were a Christian, truly a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. He came in you when you were saved. So how do we move from having the Holy Spirit to living in the Spirit by the power of God? How does that happen for you and for me? Well, let me just pause a minute. That word Christian is used widely today, 
Most people, if you just do a poll across the United States, people believe they're Christian because they were born in the United States. They believe they're Christian because they live in Alabama. They believe they're Christian because they had a relative who once preached in a church or who was a deacon who taught Sunday school at some point in time. They believe they're a Christian. The word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. But we use that like candy. The disciple, however, used over 260 times. One who follows the teacher. One who learns from the teacher. One who lives out what the teacher says. That's what we're talking about. One who is a true Christian is a disciple of Jesus Christ. We follow him. Acts 2, 38 and 39, I'll read that. It says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. So we can't sit back and say, well, I believe in God. Good, I'm glad you do. That doesn't make you a Christian. Satan believes in God and I know he's not a Christian. What, what makes the difference? There is a belief, and you must start with the belief, but here's the part. You have to have a response to that belief. That makes all the difference in the world. And here in this passage, repent and be baptized. You can't keep living like you've always lived and repent. You can't do that and live for him. You must stop where you are, change your mind, change your heart, and live for him. Also, like the first disciples, you need to be empowered to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I circled that word filled and I drew a line up to the top there for the word on. In fact, we have been commanded. You can fill in that blank there. We have been commanded to be filled by the Spirit. Ephesians five seventeen and 18. Let's read this together. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Be filled. The command of God is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever asked for God's will? God, if I only knew what your will was, I would do it. God, what is your will for my life? And really, what I'm learning is if we would take time to read God's word, we would know what God's will was for our life. He wants us to be like his son, Jesus. He wants us to be transformed. That's his will for us. It's his will for us to be witnesses in this world today. It's his will for us, now I understand, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, authority and control in my life. This is written in the present passive tense. Now in Greek, here's what that means. The present tense means it happens again and again and again and again and again and again with no end. Passive tense means it's not something I do, it's something he does in me. So when it says here to be filled with the Spirit, that's something that God will do to me again and again and again and again. But it's also written in the language of an imperative. If you and I, leaving today, there was an accident right out here on 205, 
And it was a bad accident where they had to reroute traffic. And there was a policeman, and he was standing out there, and he did this as you were driving up to him. Do you know what this means? This means if you feel like it, I would appreciate it if you would slow down. If you think you can, pull over into the shoulder and just keep on going. Is that what that means? No, when, when a police does this, it means stop. Doesn't matter if the light's green. Doesn't matter if there's a stop sign or a go sign. That means stop. That's an imperative. When God said this, that his will is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he's commanding you and I to yield to the control and authority of the Holy Spirit within us again and again and again and again. So how are you to be filled with the Spirit? If something is to be filled with any substance, it must be emptied of anything that's already in it. Let me give you an example this morning. So I have a container here, and it's juice. And I want to fill it with milk. So I begin pouring in the milk. Now, you're not going to be able to see this real good, but something that immediately happens is it begins coagulating, <laughs> clotting inside. It doesn't mix. Now, I like milk and I like juice, but I wouldn't drink this. It's not combined. It's not together. But this is a picture of you and me when we try to add Jesus to our lives. I just want a little Jesus, enough to get saved. That's what I want. I want enough of him to get saved. And it's ugly and it's putrid. But that's what it looks like. But what we're talking about to be filled with anything, you have to empty yourself of the contents. So, same example. Let me go ahead and empty this. And I want to fill it with milk. Do you see a difference? This is what it means to confess our sins before Jesus. This is what it means to empty ourselves of ourselves. Not adding some Jesus to our lives, but emptying ourselves of everything that is displeasing to God so that we may be filled with him. Yielding the control in our lives to the, his control that he might be seen, that he would be authority in our lives. Turn the page, page five. How can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Empty yourself of anything and everything that does not please God. How do we do that? 1 John 1, 9 is a great verse for us to look at together. Let's read it out loud. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just... Just looking at this verse, 
The first word is if. That means you may or may not. Sitting here this morning, upon the invitation of God to you, you may or may not respond to him. You may or may not be obedient. But it says if you would do something. If we, this is not for the general population. That word we is specifically addressed to those who follow Jesus Christ. If, maybe or maybe not, you and I, followers of Jesus Christ, would do something. If we would confess. That word confess means to agree with God about our sin and agree with God about his righteousness. If you and I, as followers of Jesus, would agree with God that we would name, that we would cite, that we would identify the sins in our life. You notice that word sins is plural. Listen, I am guilty of saying this phrase, and you may be too. God, forgive me for my sins. What kind of a prayer is that? I'm not admitting to anything other than I've sinned. I'm not agreeing to God with anything specific in my life. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, it doesn't tell us that we need to ask God to forgive us of our sins. Why? Because at the work of the cross, it's finished. The only reference I could find about us asking for forgiveness is in the model prayer. God, forgive me of my sins as I have forgiven others. Basically, what I'm asking God to do is to treat me the same way I'm treating other people. What we are commanded to do and what we are to do is to confess. We are to identify the sins in our life. We are to name it one by one in front of our Lord God. As he brings it up in our lives, we are to address it in our lives. So if we confess our sins, our specific sins, he is faithful and just. That means he's consistently right. He is consistently fair to forgive. That word forgive is to eliminate the debt, is to take it to zero and keep it at zero. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Wow, you know, when I look at that verse and I try to meditate on that and try to understand what does this mean? My father was in a, a bluegrass band growing up. And they had a song that called, It's Me Again, Lord. And, and here's a picture that I have of that song. It's not, it's not what it intended it to be. It's me again, Lord. I, I did it again. That, that's kind of what I feel with that. Do you have sin in your life that you feel like you're just relentlessly knocking on the prayer room door, the throne room of heaven, and you're asking God, God, I'm confessing again that I've done this. How, how can God be fair? How can he be just? How can he be forgiving again and again and again for people like you and me who sin again and again and again? I can't think of any other answer but an old hymn. Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. But what did he do? Oh, he washed it white as snow. This is how he does it. Again and again and again. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it, but he loves me that much that he does this. So here's an example 
I know I've already messed up. And I tried to add Jesus to my life. And, and I was really, honestly, I don't feel like there's much change in my life. I've added Jesus to me. I've still got all these issues I'm going through. I don't feel the power of God. I don't feel like I'm living for God. Not a whole lot's changed. So what do I do? Here, here's the only thing I know I can do. I confess this sin and I confess that sin and I confess this sin. I, I confess that sin and this sin. And you might say, Steve, you have that many sins? Yeah, and so do you. We're all doing this together. But what if I get to the point where I honestly cannot remember anything else? I was talking to Ryan. I was like, golly, my... my as a child, the, the decisions that I made in the, in the military, the way I behaved, all these things in my life that I know were displeasing to God, and I cannot remember every one of them. What a burden it is for you and for me to try to remember all our sins. And if we were responsible to have to remember it all before they could be forgiven, we would all be in trouble. But the rest of this verse, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, listen, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He does the rest. And then what can I do? I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. He can be in control. He can have the authority in my life because I'm no longer clinging to the things of this world. I'm no longer clinging to my desires. I'm no longer clinging to the things that separate me from God. He cleanses me from all unrighteousness so that I might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that God loves you that much? That he knows that we are so ignorant that there's no way we can name every sin. But for the ones that he does bring up to our lives, we are responsible and we must confess them by name. That's our responsibility here this morning. So we must empty ourselves of ourselves. I'm going to talk about sin as we close up today when we talk about sin there are thousands and thousands of sins that we could name but really there are only three categories of sin and that's what we'll address here there are two kinds there's the sin of commission and sins of omission we sent we tend to put more emphasis on the sins of commission commission it's doing something that we should not be doing doing something that, that displeases god we shouldn't be doing it and we did it those are the ones we focus on sunday school teacher asked well class now that we know what sins of commission are what are the sins of omission little johnny raises his hand and he says this those are the sins that we should have done but we haven't done them yet <laughs> no that, that's not what that means Sins of omission are the good things that we're supposed to do, but we don't do. We can list those things out readily. So let's talk about categories of sin. Number one, this is on page five. Empty ourselves of every deed or action. Every deed or action. 
Let me give you some examples. This isn't all encompassing, but stealing is an action that is a sin, right? Stealing. And you could say, hey, never robbed a bank. And I would say, I'm glad you didn't rob a bank. Did you take their pin though? Have you stolen from your mom and dad? Have you stolen from the IRS, though it's tempting? Have you stolen from your employer? Of course not, really. Because on timesheets, if you say you worked eight hours and you didn't work eight hours, you just stole from your employer. If you use your employer's time to conduct personal business, you're stealing from your employer. And if you're doing any of that, it's a sin and it must be confessed before God or else you won't be living in the power of God in your life today. Cheating. Well, you know, we can cheat on our taxes. We can cheat in life. I feel like I cheated a little bit when I speed going down the highway. I'm just trying to get out of the fast lane, if you know what I mean. Students, you looking at anyone, anyone's work? That's cheating. Are you plagiarizing on a paper? That's cheating. Are you using AI to accomplish your work? That's cheating. And it needs to be confessed because it's a sin. Not obeying. These are the things that they're good things, but we're not doing them. Let's, let's put it this way. First one. Jesus said to men, this would be specific for husbands, love your wife like I love the church and give myself for her. So men, since God said that, if you live selfishly in your relationship at home, if you're not giving yourself like Jesus gave himself for his wife, for the bride, is that a sin? Okay, men, that would be a really good time to say, yes, yeah, if I don't treat my wife like the Bible says, yes, it's a sin. It is, and it needs to be confessed. If you are living under your parents, no matter your age, if you're living in your parents' household, are you obeying them? Are you honoring them? Because if you don't, it's a sin, and you must confess that. We already know that, that we're told and commanded to be witnesses. If we're not telling people about Jesus... It's a sin because he said to tell people about Jesus. And if we're not doing it, it's a sin that needs to be confessed. And we just learned that the page prior, we've been commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to yield ourselves to the control and authority of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if we're not doing it, it's a sin and it must be confessed. Sexual immorality is a, a word that's, or a, a phrase that's used in the New Testament, and it is a catch-all. And I, I appreciate that God would do this for us because we like to split hairs and say, hey, he didn't mention that one. I guess that's okay. So he uses the, the term or phrase sexual immorality to be the blanket. Let me explain what the blanket is. The blanket is this. Any sexual contact outside of a man and a woman in marriage. Any sexual contact. 
outside of a man and woman in marriage. That means a homosexual relationship is sexually immoral because it is not a man and a woman in a marriage. That means in a dating relationship, I don't care how long you've dated, if you have any sexual contact, it's a sin and it must be confessed. And I know the struggles. If you're engaged, you've got the ring on, you've got the date set, and you might say this in your heart, oh, in our hearts, we're already married. If you have sexual contact prior to marriage, it's a sin and it needs to be confessed. You may have heard the phrase used over the years, friends with benefits. Uh, That phrase, friends with benefits, is um, a non-romantic relationship usually between two friends that incorporate sexual contact as favors to one another. Now, as I was growing up, that was not uncommon for my age. But it has now transcended to every age group even senior adults. And if you're party to that, it is sexually immoral and it must be confessed. Sexting is the transferring of pornographic material uh, through our wireless devices. If you're party to that, uh, it's a sin and it needs to be confessed. My friend Dennis Nunn was reading a report, disturbing report, that said uh, 25% of all Google searches are pornographic in nature. It goes on to say 30% of all visitors to pornographic sites are women. 60 to 70% of Christian men are involved in pornography to some degree or another. And because of our wireless devices, the age of exposure and use of pornography is now six years old. It is rampant in our lives. And if we try to ignore it in the congregation, we're just lying to ourselves. It's prevalent everywhere we go. And I would just say if there's any part of any of that in your life, you cannot have the power of God in your life. You cannot live for him. If you're hiding in the closet and you're, you're participating in any of this, you are, are compromising your walk with Christ. There's no way you can have the power of God. And you might be asking yourself, why am I not seeing more of God in my life? And I would say because you've not emptied yourself of yourself. And until you do that, you won't see the power of God. You're not yielding to him. The next one is empty yourself of every word. Dirty jokes, cussing, harsh language, lying, criticizing, gossip, slander. If we're participating in any of these, it's sin and it must be confessed before God. Let me talk about slander and gossip for a moment. Slander would be um, if I came over to Ryan and Heather and I said, hey, did y'all hear what Gerald did? And here's here's the facts. Gerald did not do it. And he's not here to defend himself. That's called slander. I'm out to hurt his character, his reputation, 
for whatever reason. But here's gossip. Hey, did you hear what Gerald did? He did do it. But he's not here to defend himself. That's called gossip. Now, that might make me feel, I guess, uh, a little hurt. So here's what I would do. Hey, Ryan, I got to tell you something. And let me just say, I'm not talking about Gerald. But if he was here, I'd say the same thing. But did you hear what he did? See, now that makes me feel better. But it's still gossip. And then, of course, if we want to be spiritual about this, oh, Ryan and Heather, my heart is so heavy. We need to pray for Gerald. Did you hear what he did? Hey, that's gossip. Did you know that Baptists start more churches than any other denomination? Here's how it goes. First Baptist Church. Going along, some people get unhappy, things not going their way, and they start doing this. Talk, 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 talk. And they start Second Baptist Church. Second Baptist Church, time goes on. Things aren't going the way they want. A little group of people say, hey, it's not going the way I want it to go. They start Harmony Baptist Church. Harmony Baptist Church splits up. Harmony to Baptist Church. Then they start another one. It's called New Beginnings Baptist Church and Redemption Baptist Church. There are reasons that, that churches split. One of them is false teaching. Very rarely does that happen. Another one is financial impropriety. Very rarely does that happen. A moral failure. Very rarely does that happen. What's the number one cause of churches splitting? Gossip. That's the number one cause. Our mouths. Say today after service, you go out to lunch, you're sitting around the table, and you say, wow, you know, I love Steve, but I'm just not getting as much out of his sermons like I used to. Or Ryan's got a great heart for worship, but if he sings another song like that again, I think I'm going to puke. <laughs> We're talking about Jill. Jill really has a passion for missions and, and teaching the love of Jesus to them. But you know, that church down the road, they have a whole lot more things going on. and We probably need to do more fun things. You see, we're talking negatively about the Lord's church. We talk negatively about the leadership. We talk negatively about things that are going on. And we don't think a whole lot about it, but it's divisive. And so we have to be aware that when we're speaking, that we're, we're speaking words of encouragement, words that build up. We look at gossip. You know, who do you gossip to? Do you go to your enemy and say... Let me tell you what's going on in church. No. You go to your best friend. And that's who you talk to. And that friend talks to someone else. Before you know it, you you come up with a little group. And that little group says, you know what we ought to do? We ought to just go start our own church. Do it the way we want to do it. And we divide church. Let me... This, what I'm about to say now is difficult, but it's something we must do. You and I have to decide, do we love our Savior more 
or do we love our friend more? Because when your friend comes up with gossip, you have to be strong enough to stop and say, that is gossip. Just name it for what it is. And I don't want to be party to that because it's wrong. Still love you, but I'm not going to do that. It's hard, but we've got to do this. We have to be, see, it doesn't matter if you're speaking or listening. If you're doing either of those, you're participating in gossip. And it's a sin and it must be confessed. So what do we do when we're tempted to gossip? You say, is it really that much of a temptation? Yeah. The Bible says it is a a juicy morsel. That means we'd be walking by and say, well, that looks, that looks good. I might walk past it the first time. But then I go back and I try one. Mm, that, that is quite tasty. And I try another and another and another and another. And next thing you know, I say, Luke, you want some? Let me, let me share with you what, I, what I've got here. This is good stuff. So what do we do when we're tempted, when, we're, when we have the forethought of saying, wow, what I'm about to say is gossip. What do I do? Here's, here's what I do. I remember this. That's what I remember. Because the blood of Jesus had to be shed to forgive that sin too. It's that big that he had to die for me. He had to pay the price for every word of gossip that came out of my mouth. And I must confess it before him. We have to empty ourselves of every thought. You know, Jesus took the law and he applied it to our lives. So you might be sitting here thinking all the things that we've talked through just now. And you say, hey, you know what? I've never committed adultery. Well, I'm glad for that. But Jesus said, if you've lusted in your heart over another, you have committed adultery. You might say, I've never murdered anyone. But Jesus said, if you've got anger in your heart towards another, you have murdered someone. Well, I've never stole anything. Well, Jesus says, if you covet in your heart, you have stolen. See, this is our thought life that we now battle. Are you unthankful? Are you bitter? Are you unforgiving? Are you angry at God for something you believe he took from you? Any of those. It's called sin. And it must be confessed if you want to live in the power of God. There is no other way. Ask him to fill you right now with his Holy Spirit. How do we do that? We must confess. If not, we're going to miss the life that he promised us, the the life of love and peace and joy. We're going to miss out on the working power of the Holy Spirit within us. Unless we empty ourselves of ourselves. We're going to have an invitation this morning. And it's different than any invitation I've ever done. We're not going to have music. We're not going to have any words on the screen. But what I have learned over the years, I used to think that when things got quiet in a sanctuary, it was because of maybe embarrassment over the subject matter. Pornography, sexual immorality. But what I've come to learn over the years, quietness in the midst of a sermon often reveals the Holy Spirit at work in the hearts of the people.
just like it has been here today. I don't want to manipulate you because that accomplishes nothing. I don't want to strong arm you because that doesn't do any good. But I do want to encourage you to follow the Holy Spirit this morning. On occasion, there are followers of Christ who've made it a habit to empty themselves before God consistently. Studies show that's not for the majority of people that we're probably dealing with something right now that we have not confessed before God. So here's what I'm asking. And I've done it this way, so it doesn't matter if you're on the soundboard or if you were playing the piano or leading the choir. I'm going to ask everyone to come today. Now, if you have already emptied yourself of yourself, I want you to stay where you are and just praise God for his forgiveness. But I want to ask everyone else to come forward today to confess the sin. What, it, it doesn't take long, but confess your sin before God. Whatever it is that he has laid his finger on in your life, that you now realize that it's sin and that I cannot, I cannot live in the power of God until it's out, would you come this morning and just confess it before him? If you're able to come and kneel, kneel. If, if you can't kneel, lean up against the wall. If, if it's full, sit on the front pew. You see, where you are in the balcony, sitting in the back, it's just as holy as right here. And you might make the argument, I can deal with it right where I am. You can you can pray, you can confess right where you are, except for one sin. And this is the sin that is prevalent throughout the church, prevalent in our lives, and it keeps us from living out what God said to do. And that is the sin of pride. You cannot confess the sin of pride sitting where you are. You see, when you rise up and you come forward, everyone around you knows they're dealing with sin But listen, it's none of their business what sin it is. But you're dealing with sin. You're serious about what God is saying here. You're serious about living for him. You're serious about emptying yourself out so that the Holy Spirit may fill you and you can live for him. This is what makes the difference. Now, as followers of Jesus come forward this morning, during this time, take as long as you want or as little as you want. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you have a head knowledge of who he is. You've heard that, that God sent his only son to die for you, that he, he died on the cross being the sacrifice of God, the Lamb of God, and he paid for your sin. They buried him. Three days later, he was raised from the dead to prove that it's all true. If you've never entered into a personal relationship with him, don't come and confess your sin. You need to come and confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. I'm going to make myself available. And you say, Steve, how can you do that? I came in this morning to do what you're about to do so that I would be empty of myself. And I'm going to stand right over here to the side. And if anyone needs Jesus, would you please come see me this morning? 
I was so burdened this morning as I prayed because my heart is still broken for my son in the loss of his spouse. And I weep over that. But what made me cry is this. Do I hold my relationship with Jesus of the same value? Do I weep when I'm apart from him? Do I weep when I hurt him? Do I weep when I'm living my own way? Do I weep when I'm living in disobedience? Do I weep over that separation? Wow. He's worthy of all that we can give him. So in the quietness right now, I'm going to stand over there. If you need Jesus, please come see me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whether in the balcony or down here on the floor, I'm going to ask that you come forward, confess your sin before Jesus, and go back to your seat. But let's be about the business of the Lord right now.